what that boy Cam Newton said, I'm back! What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the JT Sports Podcast. I'm your host, JT. I'm thankful that you guys are joining me on today's episode of the JT Sports Podcast. I appreciate everybody that gave me a lot of support, words of encouragement when I was having a little bit of a down moment last week. And at one point, I thought I probably was going to end up quitting this for real, but all my friends started calling me. They was like, man, JT, like, why you BSing those people like that? You know you can't quit this thing for real, and they're kind of right. I love this way too much to give up on it, so I appreciate everybody that gave me support and encouragement when I was at a really low moment, because I'm really impassioned about this, and I got a really good episode for you guys today. We're going to be discussing Justin Jefferson's injury, how it's going to impact the Vikings, the Cowboys. I don't think they're going to be winning anything worthwhile for the next couple of years because they got two big problems on this team that's holding this franchise back from winning a championship. Sean Payton, is he another bad hire by the Denver Broncos? Arkansas Razorback fans are getting really pissed off with Sam Pittman. And I'm going to be giving you guys my Heisman power rankings. Before we get into it, make sure that you guys listen to the JT Sports Podcast on all podcasting platforms. We're not just a YouTube channel. You can find every episode of the podcast available on all podcasting platforms, Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, Wherever you get your podcast from, the JT Sports Podcast is available. If you enjoyed tonight's episode, leave us with a five-star review. Share the pod with all your friends, family members, and acquaintances. We would greatly appreciate it. Once again, if you enjoyed tonight's episode and you want to support the channel, go ahead, rate us a five stars on Apple and Spotify, and follow us on Instagram and X. At JT Sports underscore is our Instagram. At JT Sports underscore underscore is our X, formerly known as Twitter. So you can go ahead, follow us there, connect with us on social media. Shout out to everybody in the chat, man. We got a very exciting episode, man. Can't wait to get into it. All right, man. Let's kick this thing off. So Justin Jefferson has been put on injury reserve because in the Vikings lost to the Chiefs this past Sunday, he suffered a hamstring injury, which is going to sideline him for the Vikings next four matchups. And just when you thought things couldn't get worse for Minnesota, you lose the best player on your football team and Jay Jettas. And he was on pace to have one of the best seasons that we've ever seen out of a wide receiver since Randy Moss went crazy with the New England Patriots back in 08. When you think about the significance of this injury, right? Obviously, Kirk Cousins, he's been playing at a pretty high level this season, but he's going to be without his number one target. And not having Justin Jefferson puts a little bit more on the table when it comes to Kirk Cousins having to do a little bit more because life is easy when anytime you get in a tough situation and you can just say F it Jay Jettis is down there now you're going to have to find other ways to effectively move the football now even though losing Justin Jefferson is going to be 
a major loss for this offense. They got a lot of playmakers who I think are good enough to make up for this loss. You got rookie wideout Jordan Addison, who's had a fantastic rookie season. You got TJ Hawkinson, one of the best tight ends in the game. KJ Osborne is pretty solid as well. I think that the Minnesota Vikings offense with Kevin O'Connell and Kirk Cousins and company, they should be able to still have this passing attack operating at a fairly efficient level. Now, are any of those wide receivers that I just mentioned as good as Jay Jettas? Absolutely not. Like I said earlier, he was on pace to have a historical season, but with this injury, you're going to have to find ways to win games without him. And you're one in four. And your next couple of games I feel a pretty winnable on the road against Chicago. Yeah, you got to play the 49ers. You may lose that game, but then you got the Packers and the Falcons. So despite the fact that you're losing your star player, you're entering a pretty favorable stretch of your schedule. All right, I don't think you need Jay Jettas to beat the Chicago Bears. Their secondary has been dog water, all right? And then the 49ers, we know they got a great defense. But even with Justin Jefferson, I don't really think Minnesota was going to have a chance to win that game anyway. But the Packers, Falcons, these are games that you should be able to win in absence of Justin Jefferson. So I don't think that this injury completely derails the Minnesota Vikings season because let's face it even if he was still healthy their season was still on the rails anyway and it looks like depending on how their next couple of weeks goes it may not even matter when Justin Jefferson comes back because this team may just be in tank mode there's some rumors going around that Kirk Cousins may get traded maybe he goes to the Jets maybe he gets traded to another team that needs a quarterback so there's no telling who's going to be the starting quarterback when Jay Jettas gets fully healthy from his hamstring injury. But regardless of the fact, Justin Jefferson, he's going to be missing the next four games of the season due to a hamstring injury. They have put him on IR. He potentially may end up healing from this injury a lot faster than expected, maybe. But the Vikings aren't trying to put anything up the chance they don't really want to risk further injuring him having him come back faster than what he needs to when the season kind of already is starting to look like a lost cause I mean why would you try to rush back Justin Jefferson if you're one and six one and seven the season pretty much is all but over at that point so I think for the Minnesota Vikings them taking the cautious approach with Justin Jefferson's hamstring injury is the right thing to do and I do think that they got a good enough talent to be able to make up for this loss now once again, I'm going to reiterate this for the last time. I'm not saying that any of the guys that they have currently at wide receiver are going to be able to be as good as Justin Jefferson. But what I am saying is, as a collective unit, when you look at everything that they have right now, they should be able to still have efficiency throwing the football even without Justin Jefferson not being there. You got way too much talent at wide out with KJ Osborne and Jordan Addison and TJ Hawkinson at tight end for this offense to completely fall apart without Justin Jefferson. The 49ers exposed the Dallas Cowboys. We all saw the clobbering that they gave Dallas on Sunday night, 42 to 10. Then not only did they expose the Dallas Cowboys for frauds, 
But they also exposed the Dallas Cowboys two biggest reasons for why I believe that this team is not going to be winning anything worthwhile for the foreseeable future. All right. Dak Trash got Dak Mid Scott, whatever you want to call him. He isn't good. All right. The dude looks like he can't run the football effectively anymore. His decision making still is god awful in late games. And, you know, his first couple of games into this season, I cut him a little bit of slack. He wasn't necessarily blowing me away, but they were playing against crappy teams. The Rams, the Ram- they played the Rams, they played the New York Giants, the Jets. So it's not like they were really playing anybody who was going to be able to make them pay for their lack of efficiency on offense until they ended up getting a reality check by the San Francisco 49ers. And it's funny how many Cowboy fans going into this season were putting all the blame on Kellen Moore. Kellen Moore was fired. He was Dallas offensive coordinator last season, and I believe he was a scapegoat. How the hell is the offensive coordinator the reason for Dak Prescott throwing multiple interceptions in big games? Like against the Jacksonville Jaguars last year, you remember when he threw the game-sealing interception to Rayshon Jenkins in overtime? Well, Dak Prescott is back, people. Three interceptions against the San Francisco 49ers. Who are you going to blame now, Dallas fans? Because Kellen Moore isn't there anymore. You can only blame one or two people. Either you got to hold Dak Prescott accountable for a shitty performance, or you got to put the blame on Mike McCarthy. And offensively, when you look at Dallas offense from a statistical standpoint, comparing this year's offense to last year's offense when Kellen Moore was the offensive coordinator, there's not really a lot of big differences, all right? Mike McCarthy's play calling has been a little bit questionable at times, but when you're looking at how productive this offense has been, there hasn't really been a huge drop-off. Now, last season, when Kellen Moore was calling the plays, he was really good at finding ways to get the Dallas Cowboys in the end zone anytime they got inside the red zone. They had the best red zone offense in the league last year. They were scoring in the red zone 71% of the time. Well, this season, with Kellen Moore being gone and Mike McCarthy taking over as the play caller, their red zone offense has been non-existent. Anytime they get in the red zone, there's a high chance that they're going to end up kicking the field goal. Dak Prescott, His mobility hasn't really been utilized that much in the red zone area. And even when it comes to their run game, this run game hasn't been as explosive as what it looked like last season. And I know the stats say otherwise. I mean, they were ninth in rushing yards per game last year. They're 10th this season. But Tony Pollard hasn't really had any big explosive runs, at least the same amount of runs that he had last year. I feel like Tony Pollard and this offense have taken a step backwards in terms of their ability to generate explosive plays. And not just that, but this passing game has taken a major step backwards. I mean, we thought that Kellen Moore was the reason for why the Dallas Cowboys passing attack wasn't as good as what it possibly could have been. And that's why they ultimately decided to fire him in a move that I never agreed with in the first place. And it's not like Mark McCarthy has been regarded as this great play caller. At best, he's an okay play caller. And you can kind of see that because you improve your wide receiver position. 
right? You bring in Brandon Cooks. Where has he been? I've barely heard Brandon Cooks name call at all. And then you got C.D. Lamb, who you're struggling to get the ball to, who recently came out and voiced some frustrations with his lack of touches in the offense, although he deserves a little bit of responsibility for that because he isn't really doing a great job at getting open because he's getting doubled and triple teamed. This offense under Mike McCarthy doesn't look as good as what it did under Kellen Moore. And Cowboy fans, I'm asking you this, and I want you to be honest with me. All right. Who is a better play caller, Kellen Moore or Mike McCarthy? Based on the small sample size that we've seen out of Mike McCarthy calling plays for Dallas, do you think that he's doing a better job than Kellen Moore? Because I think the statistics show otherwise. I mean, this offense is pretty much the exact same offense that it was when Kellen Moore was calling the plays, minus the ability to score in the red zone. So you can't score in the red zone. Dak Pickscott is still throwing interceptions, so that hasn't changed, and you're unable to get the ball to your best players on offense. I think that the two biggest problems with the Dallas Cowboys are with their head coach and their quarterback, all right? Is Dak Prescott a terrible quarterback? No, he's not. But is he a quarterback that you can win a Super Bowl with? I don't think he is. And... At one point, I used to defend Dak Prescott, not defending him saying that he's an elite quarterback or anything, but I was defending him saying that you can win with a Dak Prescott, all right? But the thing with Dak Prescott that I've started to realize is that it's kind of hard to make it far in the postseason with Dak Prescott because you can't trust him in big games, especially in big moments. I mean, anytime the Dallas Cowboys needed Dak Prescott to make a big play, he was unable to do so. And I don't know why he refuses to run the football a lot more. I never felt like he was a great athlete, but it's not like he never had any mobility in the first place. People make it seem like this dude just came in and he was running a 4.8 or a 4.9. Like, I still think that Dak has enough juice left in the tank to be a little bit more of a factor in the run game than what he has been up to this point this season. And shout out to my guy, Nance World Zone, with the $2 donation. He says, bro, JT Sports cracked me up. Good analysis. It's like, yeah, man, like, the way I'm trying to analyze Dallas offense, I'm trying to do it without completely crapping on Dak Prescott. But it's hard not to do that when you see him throwing three interceptions to the 49ers. Two of those picks come into the backups. How are you going to throw interceptions to the backups? It's one thing to throw an interception or two to the starters, but then they take the starters out, they put the backups in, and you're still throwing interceptions. And at one point, do Dallas Cowboy fans, as a collective unit, finally say, you know what, Dak Prescott, he just isn't it. There's nothing wrong with you being a fan of your team and you saying that I don't like our quarterback, our quarterback doesn't put us in a position to win. It's funny how everybody talks about how Dallas and the Dallas Cowboy brand is one of the biggest brands in all the sports. It's the most popular team in the NFL, but yet you have average quarterback play. Why are Dallas Cowboy fans and Jerry Jones so okay with good when you really need great? The last time Dallas had a great quarterback was Roger Staubach and Troy Aikman. And I was going back and forth with a couple of delusional Cowboy fans on TikTok and Instagram who had the audacity to tell me that 
Tua isn't better than Dak Prescott. Like, what the hell are you smoking, man? Are you serious Come on right now? now? Are you Come serious? on, man. And here's the thing, right? If I'm going to take any fan base advice when it comes to what an elite quarterback is and isn't, I'm not going to take any advice from anybody that's a Cowboy fan that screams, Dak Prescott is a top 10 quarterback. Dak Prescott is elite. You know, there were so many Cowboy fans screaming that before the season started. I know y'all, I know y'all saw it on Twitter. And I know y'all guys get back and forth with Dallas Cowboy fans every single, every single week damn near when it comes to how they view Dak Prescott. For some reason, Dak Prescott is viewed as a god in Dallas. No matter how bad he plays, no matter how many picks he throws, people are just going to continue to make it seem like he isn't the problem in Dallas. If he isn't the problem in Dallas, then who is? It's either one or two people that's holding back this team from greatness. Is either Big Mike McCarthy or is Dak Trashcott? Which one is it? Hell, I think the easy answer is just to say both. I think after this season, both of those guys, Jerry Jones, should just make leave town. Don't give Dak Prescott another extension and fire Mike McCarthy. Mike McCarthy doesn't make this team a Super Bowl contender. If you ask Sean Payton as your head coach, and we're going to get into him a little bit later, I think that Dallas will be a way better football team than what they are now. Save me the whole excuses about injuries. Every team is dealing with injuries. Good teams have to overcome injuries. That's just a part of the game of football. I get sick and tired of people every single week saying, oh, we got this dude out. We got this guy out. Who cares, bruh? It's freaking football. Nobody goes through an entire season with no injuries. That's just how the game is, man. When you're playing the game of football, you're trying to make it through the season, trying to overcome adversity and trying to overcome lingering injuries. I don't think any player goes through a whole 17 game regular season without having some kind of injury that they're playing through. So save me the whole nonsense about the injuries on the offensive line and the other injuries that you've had on defense to Trayvon Diggs. Like, Deron Bland, I think he filled in perfectly for Trayvon Diggs. He caught a pick six against the New England Patriots, and he was looking pretty fine to me. And you got Stephon Gilmore. The Dallas Cowboys have so much talent, and yet... We wonder why this team continues to disappoint year after year after year in big games. Well, the reasoning is because, one, they never have top-notch coaching. Mike McCarthy, he's better than Jason Garrett. And I do think there's a pretty big gap between him and Jason Garrett. But is Mike McCarthy as good as a Kyle Shanahan or a Sean McVay? Hell no. There's a reason why the 49ers continue to run circles around the Dallas Cowboys. And I don't think it has anything to do with talent. There's no way you can tell me that the 49ers were 42 to 10 better than the Dallas Cowboys. Both of these teams have two of the best rosters in the whole entire NFL. The reason why the 49ers clobbered the Dallas Cowboys was because they didn't have great coaching. You see, when you have a great team, but you don't have top-of-the-notch coaching, that's what holds you back from winning a Super Bowl. When you want to win a Super Bowl, not just do you need to have a great team, but your team has to be well-coached. The players just don't coach themselves. And that's something that the Dallas Cowboys haven't had since 
what, Tom Landry, Bill Parcells, Jimmy Johnson? I mean, it's been like decades since the Dallas Cowboys had a head coach roaming the sidelines that you can look at and says, hell yeah, like he's a damn good coach. Mike McCarthy, he's not a bad coach. I think he's an okay coach. He's good enough to get you to the playoffs, but that's about it. It seems like the Dallas Cowboys, you know, every single year they get all these high expectations and people try to give them the benefit of a doubt. And you try not to hate on the fan base because, I mean, I'm never going to slander a fan base for being passionate about their team. But at the end of the day, there has to come a point where you got to look at yourself. You got to say, we're really gassing up a team. We really thought that we had a chance to win a Super Bowl with Dak Prescott and Mike McCarthy as our head coach quarterback duo. Like what? The Dallas Cowboys need to upgrade at quarterback, and they need to upgrade at head coach. Now, I don't know what will be an upgrade from Dak Prescott. Hell, I think that if you go from Kirk Cousins to Dak Prescott, that's a slight upgrade. Not a major upgrade, but a slight upgrade. At least Kirk Cousins has the ability to win a couple of big games for you. I know him and Dak Prescott kind of are in the same tier of quarterbacks that aren't able to really come through when it matters the most, but at least Kirk Cousins can come through a little bit more than Dak Mid-Scott. Because that's what Dak Prescott is. He's mid. And you used to be able to win a quarterback. You used to be able to win a Super Bowl with a mid quarterback. But it's 2023, people. And today's NFL, having a great team and an okay quarterback isn't going to be good enough to cut it. Look at the current state of the AFC right now. The AFC is the equivalent to the Western Conference and the NBA. The majority of the NFL's best quarterbacks play in the AFC Conference. The best quarterback in the NFC is Jalen Hurts. That's the only quarterback that you can look at in this conference and label elite. So therefore, I'm looking at Jerry Jones and I'm wondering, like, when are you going to make the next big move to try to get an elite quarterback in there? There's nothing wrong with having a Dak Prescott in terms of if you want to have a winning team and you want to have a little bit of playoff success. But if you want to be able to win a Super Bowl, you got to be able to have top-tier quarterback play. And I don't think that the Dallas Cowboys are ever going to get that out of Dak Prescott. I know a lot of Cowboy fans love Dak Prescott. He's a great leader, great captain. But he just isn't in that quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys in terms of them having championship aspirations. They're like when I look at Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs, I say, you know, they got a shot every single year because of Patrick. Same thing with the Cincinnati Bengals. But you look at the Dallas Cowboys and you look at Dak Trashcott, do you really think he gives you the best chance to win a Super Bowl compared to other quarterbacks in this conference, such as Jared Goff and Geno Smith? I mean, a couple of years ago, it would have sound absurd to say that those two quarterbacks were better than Dak Prescott. But now, it's not even insanity anymore. It's just the new reality that we live in. Dak Prescott is a top 15 quarterback. He's nothing more, nothing better than that. The Dallas Cowboys aren't going to win shit with Dak Prescott and Mike McCarthy being in the Big D. And I'm wondering when Jerry Jones is going to go ahead and roll the dice. There has been a very long time since we last saw Jerry Jones really roll the dice. And he seems like he's super committed to winning the Super Bowl. I know Jerry Jones wants to win one more Super Bowl in his lifetime. But is he really going to put that in the hands of 
Dak Trash God and Mike McCarthy? If he is, I think that Jerry Jones should be satisfied with all of the Super Bowls that he currently has. Because unless he's willing to make a swing at quarterback and head coach and bring in a top-level head coach and bring in a better quarterback, the Dallas Cowboys are going to be stuck at the level that they are, which is they're going to be a playoff team. They may win a wild-card game, make it to the divisional round, but that's about it. And even if they make it to the conference championship game, you just know they're going to find a way to blow it. And that's the tough thing about the Dallas Cowboys. I hate judging teams based on history. But there's no team that continues to prove a narrative painted by the national media to be true more than the Dallas Cowboys. You know, I'm not really somebody that is a big fan of Stephen A. Smith, but he has a really good point when he says, when you look at the Dallas Cowboys, what can go wrong will go wrong. And that's true. I mean, there's no way anybody expected them to get dog walked by the San Francisco 49ers the way that they did. It doesn't matter if it's the regular season. You want to know why? Because this is the same stuff that's been happening year after year with the Dallas Cowboys. And, you know, they say history repeats itself. History repeats itself, it seems like, every single season with the Dallas Cowgirls. They get all this attention. They get all these high expectations. And for one time in my life, I actually thought that the Cowboys had a legit shot at being able to make it to the Super Bowl. Now, did I pick them to win the NFC? No, I didn't. I picked the Seattle Seahawks. But I at least felt like they had a great chance. My guy, Juice, he didn't even have the Dallas Cowboys labeled as Super Bowl contenders, and I felt like he was being really disrespectful to Dallas. I felt like Dallas' roster was too good not to label them Super Bowl contenders, but it turns out he was actually right. Dak Prescott isn't good enough to get them over the top, and neither is Mike McCarthy. Save me the whole excuses about injuries. Like, people always find ways, Dallas fans do, they find ways to continue to defend Dak Prescott Last year was Kellen Moore. This year, I don't know what the excuse is going to be. I can't wait to find out. But even though the Dallas Cowboys continue to disappoint year after year, there's, they make for some damn good television. Like, I love watching the Dallas Cowboys because they're always going to find a way to give you some entertainment. Even when they were getting blown out by the 49ers, I continued to watch that game because I wanted to see if they were going to put in Trey Lance. And instead, they put in Cooper Rush. And it really was mind-boggling to me because it's like, man, what's the point of trading for Trey Lance, young quarterback with upside that hasn't really worked out that much that needs reps if you're not going to give him a chance to get in the game and get his feet wet when you're down 42-10? to 10? What are you putting Cooper Rush in there for? We know Cooper Rush is a solid backup. We need to know what we can get out of Trey Lance. Trey Lance needs reps. He's not learning anything on the sidelines. He didn't learn anything on the sidelines behind Jimmy Garoppolo. And he's definitely not going to learn anything on the sidelines holding the clipboard behind Dak Trashcott. The Dallas Cowboys, as much as I love to hate on this team at times and love to poke fun of this team, they make it too easy. Just be honest this team is so easy to make fun of because of the fact that they always find ways to underperform when you just have a little bit of expectation for them. I wasn't expecting the Dallas Cowboys to beat the 49ers. 
I thought they could at least keep it within 10 points. At least. I wasn't even surprised at the final outcome of that game. Because that's just what the Dallas Cowboys are. They look nice on paper. They're always going to win the offseason. Like, you look at the Dallas Cowboys before the start of every season. And you always look at their roster. And you always say, like, bro, they got a great roster. They're stacked. Yeah, they always are stacked. But they always have mid or above, barely below average coaching. And that's not good enough to cut it. Mike McCarthy, he may be able to win you the division, get you to the playoffs, win you a a playoff game or two. But in terms of winning a Super Bowl, he's not good enough to get you there. And neither is Dak Prescott. The Dallas Cowboys, after this season, they need to kick these two guys to the curve and bring in some fresh blood in there. Bring in a new head coach. Hell, I think that the Detroit Lions offensive coordinator would be a perfect fit. And then find out a way to get your new quarterback in there. Maybe you could try to draft running this upcoming year's draft. There's a lot of them to pick from. But Dak Prescott's decision-making makes it hard to trust them in the postseason. I'm not counting out Dallas. I'm not saying that they're not going to make it to the playoffs. I'm not going to go that far. I'm even going to say that I still think they got a shot to win the division over Philadelphia. But am I picking them to make it far in the playoffs? No. All the Dallas Cowboys are good for is for, you know, making a lot of noise in the regular season, winning the offseason. You know, they're the Super Bowl champions of the offseason. If they gave out Lombardi trophies based on offseason hype, the Dallas Cowboys would win that shit every single year. But when it comes playoff time, put up a shut up time, the Dallas Cowboys get forced to shut up. And the 49ers made the Dallas Cowboys shut their mouths in terms of Super Bowl expectations with their 42-10 beatdown. And they exposed the two biggest problems with this team, the head coach and the quarterback. Mike McCarthy had no answer for anything that the 49ers were doing defensively. And Dak Prescott, he didn't have an answer neither. And I felt bad for Dan Quinn. Dan Quinn is the best defensive coordinator in the NFL right now. But there's only so much you can do when your offense doesn't do anything. And yeah, his defense could have played a lot better, but I'm not going to blame Dan Quinn for that loss. I'm going to put it on the offense. The offense hasn't really looked that great this year, and I'm eager to see what they're going to do their next couple of games with their schedule really starting to ramp up. We're about to truly find out what kind of team the Dallas Cowboys are. Are they off-season prima donnas, or are they an actual legit Super Bowl contender because I just think you know they're just pretenders they look good on paper they're off-season warriors they're off-season champions but when it comes to the regular season they disappoint every single year they'll make it to the playoffs and then they'll end up losing and then they'll get sent back home in ugly fashion and my last thing with the Dallas Cowboys is that it seems like every time This team is in a big game. You know, they just find out ways to go out in the most embarrassing fashion. It's like, how embarrassing is it to get clobbered on Sunday night football 45 to 10? Did you, or 42 to 10? Did you guys know that that Dallas Cowboys 49ers matchup was one of the most viewed Sunday night football games in a very long time? And they just got clobbered. 25 million people tuned in to watch a good game, and instead, they watched the murder on live television.
like I said, man, the Cowboys, they aren't going anywhere with Dak Trashcott and Big Mike with their head coach quarterback combination jerry jones needs to switch some things up since gary kubiak stepped down in 2016 the Denver broncos have went through and whiffed on several head coaches their last three head coaching hires have not been good you look at vance joseph who currently is their defensive coordinator he didn't work out they hired vic vangio for a couple of years 2019 to 2021 he didn't work out. You brought in Nathaniel Hackett, who probably was the worst of the previous head coaches that you hired prior to Sean Payton. And we know how big of a disaster Nathaniel Hackett was. And now you have Sean Payton in there. And when the Denver Broncos traded for Sean Payton and they officially named him their head coach, majority of people felt like he would be able to turn this team around. Now, nobody was expecting a miracle to happen. Nobody expected for Denver to go from what they were last season to a Super Bowl contender, but you at least thought that this team would be better than what they are right now, currently 1-4 and four and looking like one of the worst teams in the NFL. Russell Wilson, he hasn't looked bad. He's looked way better than what he did last season. He has 11 touchdowns to only two interceptions. He's completing 66.9% of his passes. He's thrown for 1,210 passing yards. But for some reason, anytime the game is on the line and you really need Russell Wilson to pull through, he just finds a way to blow the game. And it's to the point that I can't even call Russell Wilson Russ anymore he doesn't deserve the nickname Russ Russ is too cool of a nickname for a guy like him to have anymore instead of calling him Russ I just gotta call him Russell from this point forward because that's what he is Russell Wilson is just a shadow of himself and people say he's not playing bad yeah he's not playing bad but he's not the Russell Wilson that he used to be when he was with the Seattle Seahawks. The old Russell Wilson that I grew up on, that was one of the best quarterbacks of my lifetime, that I've been around to watch, was able to come through every single time the game was on the line. He was one of the clutchest quarterbacks in the league at one point. And now it seems like any time the game is on the line, you just know he's going to fold. The only time Russell Wilson actually looked dependable in a late game situation was when they came from behind against the Chicago Bears I mean Russell Wilson I don't give a damn what the stats show we all saw his late game fumble against the New York Jets and you can say well JT they didn't really have a great chance at winning that game anyway like the Jets defense is so great man save me that at the end of the day, you're paying Russell Wilson a lot of money. I need him to come through for me in late game situations, not fumbling the game away. There's a reason why Sean Payton went into Russell Wilson on the sideline after that play happened. He said, bro, what the hell are you doing? And I was looking at Russell Wilson saying the same thing. You know, like Russell Wilson is a great person. He's a really good guy to have in the locker room. He's a hard worker. He's going to give it his all. But that doesn't win you games. Being a likable guy, being a great person, being a man of faith doesn't win you games as a quarterback. Russell Wilson isn't winning games. And you see, the Broncos are not a great team. We understand that. And when you have a quarterback like Russell Wilson, 
He isn't able to elevate a bad team anymore. At one point, Russell Wilson used to carry Seattle with terrible offensive lines, non-existent run games. It was the Russell Wilson show up there in Seattle for one point. But you look at what he is currently with the Denver Broncos with Sean Payton at the helm. It's like, damn, Sean Payton, one of the greatest minds on the offensive side of the football in the game of football, the history of the football, can't even get Russell Wilson to play anywhere close to the level that he used to play at in his prime years with the Seattle Seahawks. That should tell you everything you need to know. Sean Payton is not the problem with the Denver Broncos. Sean Payton was given a lot of money for a reason. You want to know why? The Broncos ownership paid him so much money because they realized how crappy of a situation they were in with Russell Wilson. So I don't get why you Broncos fans, not all of you guys, but some of y'all are trying to say that Sean Payton needs to be fired. What? Sean Payton wasn't in charge of building this roster. He didn't get the trade for Russell Wilson. He didn't get the sign most of the guys that he wanted to last season he was retired he was working for fox comfortable at home living chilling and then you have to bring this fool out of retirement offer him a lot of money and now you want to try to blame him for him getting inheriting a terrible situation like come on man there's a reason why a lot of head coaches didn't want to take this job there's a reason why you have to pay Sean Payton so much money for him to become the head coach of Denver. You had to incentivize him to take this job. Anytime you have to incentivize somebody to do something, that means that most people that you ask to do it without the out of incentives don't want to take it. You want to know why people didn't want to take it? Because they knew that Russell Wilson was broken car pieces. You can't fix a car that doesn't start up anymore. Russell Wilson, you start that bad boy up, he may get you out of your driveway, and then he turns off once you get into the open road. I don't care about what these stats show about Russell Wilson. Yeah, he hasn't played bad, but he hasn't played good enough for the Denver Broncos to be better than what they are. They're a 1-4 football team. Russell Wilson, you can say he ain't the problem, but he definitely ain't the solution, and he definitely ain't the future. And my homeboy was saying that, man, Denver got to move on from Russell Wilson ASAP, and I was trying to break it down to him. No, bro, like, they're stuck with Russell Wilson for the next three to four years. His cap hit, his dead money is way too big for you to cut him, and nobody's going to want to trade for him. Who would want to trade for Russell Wilson? I mean... The Denver Broncos are in a really bad situation. And I don't think you can put this on Sean Payton. You got to put this on the general manager. The general manager after this season, he definitely has to get sent the door. He has to. He whiffed on hiring Nathaniel Hackett. He did a terrible job at constructing this roster. Now, Sean Payton probably had a big say in some of the big moves that they made in free agency. Okay, but that's just one offseason and the Denver Broncos didn't really have a lot of money to work with where they could just drastically overhaul this roster via one offseason. Sean Payton is going to need more than one year to fix this franchise. There's a reason why he's getting paid all this damn money. Now, Sean Payton, where he does need to be held accountable for is this coaching staff that he assembled. When he hired Vince Joseph, I was against the hiring, but I only 
gave it faith because of Sean Payton. That's it. The only reason I gave Sean Payton the benefit of a doubt when it came to hiring Vance Joseph and not really questioning it is because he's one of the greatest coaches ever. He's a Super Bowl champion. He's going to be a future first ballot Hall of Famer as a head coach. Okay, so of course, I'm going to respect his judgment and I'm going to give him the benefit of a doubt because he's a Hall of Fame coach for a reason. I'm sitting here talking to you guys on microphone getting paid for it for a reason. Okay, so of course, I'm going to give Sean Payton a little bit of leeway when it comes to certain decisions that he makes, even if they are a little bit skeptical. But Vance Joseph he wasn't good when he was the defensive coordinator for the Arizona Cardinals. I remember that Monday night. Was it Monday night? I don't know if it was Monday or Thursday night. But all I know is there was a game when last year the Arizona Cardinals got steamrolled by the 49ers. And George Kittle had a big touchdown run where nobody on Arizona looked like they wanted to tackle the fool. I don't get what Sean Payne was doing when he chose to hire Vince Joseph. But that was an awful decision. I honestly thought he should have went with Rex Ryan. Rex Ryan, he may not be a great head coach, but this dude is a fantastic defensive coordinator. If Rex Ryan was calling the plays, you think the Dolphins would have put 70 on that defense? With Rex Ryan being the DC, I'm pretty confident that wouldn't have happened. I mean, and Rex Ryan has too much pride even to allow a defense to be that bad. So when it comes to Sean Payton, I don't think... He needs to be fired. Obviously, he needs way more time. This is a shit show, man. I mean, look at how bad this team was last year. And the fact that Russell Wilson is playing better, but this team is just as bad, if not worse, than what they were in 2022 under Nathaniel Hackett tells you that this team has way more problems than just quarterback. The offensive line isn't good. Your running back position is completely depleted due to injuries and your defensive line you don't even have a consistent pass rush I mean you got rid of Bradley Chubb he's with the Dolphins he still isn't really doing that much down there but I mean you don't have anybody on that defensive line outside of what maybe Zach Allen who may be your best pass rusher and I don't even know if he's healthy hell I might have to look it up real quick but all I'm saying is that the Denver Broncos this team had no talent coming into the season on defense basically you had Patrick Sertan Justin Simmons and that was about it offensively this team should be a lot better than what they have been you got Jerry Judy Cortland Sutton like I expect a little bit more out of this offense but I mean, I'm not going to put this all on Sean Payton. Sean Payton didn't build this team. And Sean Payton had it his way. And he could get rid of Russell Wilson with no penalties. He would have Russell Wilson out of Denver in a snap of a finger. I'm pretty sure Sean Payton at this point has no problem throwing in the towel and taking for Kayla Williams. Because at this point, you're paying this dude all this money to try to win in the unwinnable situation. How many head coaches could Denver possibly hire that could have this team in a better position than what they are right now? You could put the best head coach. You could put Vince Lombardi on the damn sideline in replace of Sean Payton. And this team still would be a disaster. I mean, this roster is just terribly constructed. And not just that, but this is an organization that from a front office standpoint, they've been making bad decisions ever since they won that Super Bowl. Ever since Gary Kubiak stepped down, it's been raps.
And there's a reason why Gary Kubiak stepped down. I think that he kind of peeped the dysfunction in the front office. He peeped the dysfunction on the top level. And that's why the Broncos are in the situation that they're in now. This roster has been poorly constructed. You gave Russell Wilson all this money, plus you gave up all your future assets to get him. Yeah, you got a first-round pick. It potentially could be the number one overall pick if the Bears and the Panthers improve a little bit. But, I mean, Sean Payton, you can't put all of the blame on him, all right? You probably got to give Sean Payton 30% of the blame and put 70% of it on the rest of this franchise. You know, the front office, the owners, the general manager, because Sean Payton got paid a lot of money to turn this thing around for a reason. And I think with you giving him so much money, that tells you that, hey, like we know that this is an awful situation. Just do the best that you can this season and we'll try to figure the rest out later. If I'm Sean Payton, I don't give a damn how much money Russell Wilson is getting paid. I'm tanking for Kayla Williams. Kayla Williams, if he's available and the Denver Broncos have a chance to draft him, you draft him. And you work out the rest later. If Russell Wilson wants to be the highest paid backup in NFL history, go ahead and do so. Even though I don't think Russell Wilson's ego will allow that to happen. I don't think Russell Wilson will be okay getting paid all this money to be a backup quarterback for a rookie QB. If Denver can't force Russell Wilson to retire and you got to go ahead and draft another quarterback and he becomes the highest paid backup QB in NFL history, so be it. F it. Because at this point, him being out there doesn't really improve your chances at winning. I'd rather have Caleb Williams starting for me at quarterback on a rookie deal and have Dak Prescott. You know, hell, I'll take Dak Prescott over Russell Wilson right now. Dak Prescott will be a better QB under Sean Payton's tutelage than what he is under Mike McCarthy's tutelage. I mean, the Denver Broncos are just a complete, unmitigated disaster. And for you Broncos fans that want Sean Payton fired, like, what the hell were you expecting this season? I get it. I had them winning 9, 10 games. But nobody viewed this team as more than a potential wildcard team. Like, Broncos fans making it seem like they were supposed to be anything better than what they are right now. I mean, I don't think any of us thought they would be 1-4, but not too many people expected miracles to be made when Sean Payton was hired by Denver. He did what most people believe that he would be able to do. He's fixed Russell Wilson. He's got Russell Wilson playing at a higher level than what he was last year under Nathaniel Hackett, but it's just that in the year 2023, we have to accept the reality that this is who Russell Wilson is. He's not Russ anymore. He's Russell He's not the old, incredible Houdini Russell Wilson that was getting out of sacks, breaking out of all kinds of tackles, and just making crazy throws downfield. The new Russell Wilson is the Russell Wilson that you see today. You can't trust him to win games when it's on the line, and he's not a quarterback that's going to be able to elevate a bad team. If anything, Russell Wilson needs a great roster to win at this stage of his career and how most quarterbacks need. You know, most quarterbacks around Russell Wilson's age can't carry a football team anymore. They need to have a good supporting cast around them. There's a reason why Tom Brady left New England and went to Tampa Bay. 
There's a reason why Aaron Rodgers left Green Bay for New York. You need weapons when you're an older quarterback. You need a great offensive line when you're an older quarterback. And when you don't get that, you're not going to have a lot of success. I don't get how Broncos fans, not all of you guys, but a lot of you guys are trying to put all the blame on Sean Payton, trying to say we need to fire Sean Payton. Sean Payton was a bad hire. No, Sean Payton has held up somewhat his end of the bargain. Russell Wilson's playing at a better level. He just isn't playing at a good enough level for the Broncos to be able to win games because this is a bad team. This team has been poorly constructed. For over the last couple of years, one free agency period and one offseason wasn't going to be enough to overcome the years of poor drafting and poor roster acquisition that the Broncos have had over the last couple of years since they won that Super Bowl back in 2015 in Peyton Manning's final season. Sean Payton, give him some time, all right? I'm judging Sean Payton based on what he does in 2024, not what he does in 2023. Although I am going to give him a little bit of some accountability when it comes to him hiring Vance Joseph as a defensive coordinator. I never understood that in the first place. I thought Rex Ryan would have been a much better fit, but there's a reason why he's getting paid all this money. So I trusted his decision, and obviously this decision has backfired in his face. And this is the first time that Sean Payton ever really had to assemble a coaching staff. I mean, he's had the same coaching staff in New Orleans for damn near a decade and a half. Hell, most of the coaches that were under Sean Payton during his years in Nola are still on the staff with Dennis Allen right now. Sean Payton... If you're a Broncos fan, you got to give him time because he inherited a disaster. You got to remember, they paid this dude a boatload of money to take this job. They pretty much gave him so much money that he couldn't turn this job down. So it's like, yeah, you look at it as, man, he's going to pay so much money, JT. Of course, we're going to expect better. But you also got to look at it like this. You're paying this guy so much money because this was such an undesirable job that nobody else wanted to take it. So you can't be surprised that you're in the situation that you are right now. Sean Payton is still a great coach. You know, him missing on the defensive coordinator doesn't change anything about his legacy and his resume. He's still going to be a first ballot Hall of Fame coach regardless of if this thing ends up getting turned around or not. But this was just a recipe for disaster when you look at the situation that he was walking into. <coughs> <coughs> Before we get into our next couple of topics, if you haven't already, smash the like button, subscribe to the channel. We go live Monday through Wednesday, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Check out the JT Sports Podcast. We're not just a YouTube channel. Every video that's uploaded on the channel is available in audio format on all podcasting platforms, Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon. If you're enjoying tonight's episode and you want to support the podcast, go ahead like, subscribe, and rate the JT Sports Podcast five stars. Shout out to everybody in the chat, man. Appreciate the donations. Payton needs to fire that DC. Yeah, he has to go. Bro, preach. I would love to have Rex Ryan. Yeah, Rex Ryan is a great defensive coordinator. I don't know why Sean Payton didn't hire him. 
Hope you're doing great, man. I'm doing fantastic, man. Shout out to everybody that we got in the chat. If you haven't hit that like button, make sure you hit that like button, man. Helps us out a lot. Arkansas fans are really pissed off with Sam Pittman right now. They're currently 2-4, and 0-3 and in conference play. I don't think any Razorback fan saw this coming. And, of course, every Arkansas fan knows that they play one of the toughest schedules in college football every single season. They understand that. And Arkansas fans are some of the most passionate, most realistic fans in all of college football. They're not expecting to win the SEC. They're not expecting to make it to a national championship game. All they want is to win eight, nine games consistently, occasionally have a big 10 win season when maybe you end up competing for the SEC. But more times than not, Arkansas fans have pretty reasonable expectations. So for them to be frustrated, shows a lot about the job that Sam Pittman has done. And ever since his second season at Arkansas, when they went 9-4, and four, this program has regressed. And I thought that Arkansas was a team that was potentially on the rise. All right, last season in 2022, they had a lot of injuries. They had injuries everywhere. Understandable, right? But in 2023, going into this season, you expected this team to be way better than what they are right now. There's no reason why you should have lost the BYU the way that you did. And you're 0-3 in conference play. And the crazy thing about this is that Arkansas, when you look at the remainder of their schedule, there's only really one game that you can look at and really pencil that in as a W, and that's FIU. Their next couple of games, you got to go up on the road against Alabama, Mississippi State, on the road, in the swamp against Florida, Auburn with Hugh Freeze. You got Mizzou who's having a great season. There's a high chance that Arkansas doesn't even go bowling this year, and that would be a major disappointment. And Sam Pittman, he hasn't really done a great job being the head coach of this team over the last couple of years, this team has went backwards. It's crazy how you go 3-7 and seven your first year, then you triple your win total your second season, and then that's just it. The team just goes backwards. It just makes no sense to me. And I was really shocked when he replaced his former offensive coordinator, Art Bryles, who left for TCU with Dan Enos. And I laughed. You want to know why I laughed? Because I'm a Miami Hurricane fan. And I remember when Dan Enos was calling the plays for us when Manny Diaz first hired him. And you saw he didn't last long as Miami's OC. Manny Diaz gave that fool the door expeditiously. So I was really astonished. When I saw Sam Pittman hiring this dude to replace Art Bryles, and everybody's asking the question, what the hell has happened to K.J. Jefferson? K.J. Jefferson was one of the most underrated quarterbacks in all of college football. He was really good at taking care of the football. He was dynamic with his legs. And all of a sudden, Dan Enos takes over the play calling, and he's ruined K.J. Jefferson. He's ruined Rocket Sanders. They had one of the best quarterback running back duos and all of college football and you can't even tell what KJ Jefferson is anymore because how atrocious the play calling has been and I get that the players got to execute 
But there's no way KJ Jefferson goes from being a top quarterback in the SEC for the past two years to now being one of the worst quarterbacks in this conference. I never thought I would ever say Brady Cook is better than KJ Jefferson. But based on this season, he is. I mean, is KJ Jefferson even a top five quarterback in the SEC anymore? And I don't blame KJ Jefferson. I blame Sam Pittman whiffing on his offensive coordinator hire of Dan Enos. There were plenty of better candidates who you possibly could have gotten. You mean to tell me that you couldn't have persuaded Dan Mullen to leave the ESPN desk to become your offensive coordinator? Our Bryles was one of the best OCs in all of college football. I know that Arkansas fans had their moments where they looked at Art Bryles and they said, what the hell was that? But this dude was a really good play caller for the most part. And you go from him to Dan Enos, yeah, of course there was going to be a drastic drop-off because of that. And the defense doesn't really look all that improved neither. Sam Pittman, I definitely think it's time to start having those tough conversations. All right, and you might not even have to wait another year to fire Sam Pittman. If you win only three games this year, I think that's a fireball offense. And I believe that he got an extension not too long ago. And Arkansas, for all of my younger audience out there, or all of my audience who doesn't really know a lot of history about college football, Arkansas is one of the most winningest programs in the history of this sport, believe it or not. And you wouldn't even be able to tell with what this football program has been through within the last decade I mean at one point Arkansas was a team that was consistently competing in the SEC West now of course they weren't making it to the SEC championship game but they weren't a team that you could look over you look at Arkansas now and you just look at them as a pushover and with Texas and OU coming into the conference things are going to get a lot worse for Arkansas yeah they play one of the most difficult schedules in all of college football every single year, but so does Auburn. That's just part of the job. Arkansas fans have reasonable expectations. They want to win seven, eight games consistently, eight, nine games consistently, but they'll take a seven-win season. But the be in this situation when you possibly could miss out on a bowl game is a fireball offense. All right, losing to BYU is a fireball offense when you're Sam Pittman at Arkansas. And BYU looks to be a pretty solid team this year. But if you go back and you watch the way that they choked that lead against BYU, you'll be wanting to fire Sam Pittman too if you was an Arkansas fan. Like Arkansas fans had to endure Chad Morris. And then when you think that you got a little bit of optimism, after your 9-4 season in 2021, you go 7-6 and, and you say, man, it's understandable. We had a boatload of injuries. And you thought that going into this year that maybe you could possibly finish in the top half of the SEC West. At least I thought you would be able to. Your defense looked much better. You thought that your offensive line would be able to get back to the level that it was in 2021. But things have just been a complete disaster for Arkansas. I mean, this fan base, I feel so bad for you guys because you guys are one of the best fan bases in all of college football. Like, I get really surprised every time I upload an Arkansas video and it does crazy numbers. Like, one Arkansas segment I did 
got like 5,000 views in like 24 hours. I was like, damn, like Arkansas fans exist. Like, believe it or not, this is one of the biggest fan bases in college football, one of the most underrated fan bases in college football. And right now they're getting tortured because anytime they get a little bit of optimism, a little bit of reason to be optimistic about the future, they get their souls ripped out and you get Sam Pittman going 0-3 in conference play. I mean, these boys don't lost the BYU. They don't lost the LSU. They don't lost the Texas A&M. They lost the Ole Miss. And you can say, man, at least they haven't been blowouts. But it's just the fact that you can't find ways to win these games. Nobody cares about how tough a schedule Arkansas has. I'm going to say it for the last effing time. Everybody in the SEC is playing the gauntlet of a schedule. Look at Hugh Freeze at Auburn. This fool has to go up against Georgia and Alabama every single season. I mean, it doesn't get no tougher than that. You got to go up against Georgia and Alabama, two juggernauts in college football every single season. If there's any head coach who deserves a pass, it's any head coach who's coaching at Auburn. Don't want to hear no more of the excuses for Sam Pittman having a tough schedule you can't use that anymore, man. Arkansas is at a point now where they should be able to take a tough schedule and at least be able to be bowl eligible. There's no reason why, regardless of how tough the schedule is, for Arkansas not to be a bowl eligible team. It's not like this program is lacking in resources. They got solid facilities, okay? Arkansas has a pretty nice campus. I've actually watched a couple of virtual tours of Arkansas University, and I was pleasantly surprised because before I ever really got into Arkansas football like that, and I started really covering college football heavily, I used to be like, bro, what the hell is in Fayetteville, Arkansas? Why would anybody want to go there? But it's actually a very beautiful place. So, I mean, there's no reason for Arkansas to be going in the direction that they're headed. And direction that they're headed is straight to the bottom of the SEC again. It's funny how, in the span of three years, Sam Pittman went from the beloved hero of this program to now being seen as a villain. And it's just so crazy how I just find ways to continue to use this quote. You either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. And for Sam Pittman... It looks like it's only taken four to five seasons from him to go from beloved head coach to now get this full wild of here. And for Arkansas fans, I got to ask you this. Who's next? Who's going to replace Sam Pittman when you end up moving on from him? It's crazy, man. Like, I thought that this program was going to get back to the level that they were in the early 2010s. When they had Ryan Mallett at quarterback, R.I.P., God rest his soul. And it just seems like Arkansas is just stuck in this place where they're either going to be one or two things. They're either going to be a bottom dweller in the SEC or they're going to be a middle-end program in the SEC. And this program, based on their history, used to be so much better than that. You know, for the people who are just casual watchers of college football, you look at Arkansas and... You probably expect them to be a 6-7 win team. You probably don't expect much from them. But this used to be a very passionate football program. This used to be one of the better football programs in college football. 
When I first got into college football, I remember how good Arkansas used to be. They used to be a top 15 team every single season. Write it down. They weren't going to have no more than three losses. And they were going to be a factor in the SEC picture. Now, it's like you don't even know if they're consistently going to be a team that can even make it to a ball game. This season has just been a complete disaster for the Razorbacks. And I just feel for Arkansas fans, man, because you guys deserve so much better than this. I mean, you look at the previous head coach you had, Chad Morris, that fool was not even qualified to be a head coach it looked like. And when you had a little bit of reason to be optimistic about this program heading in the right direction, they go 7-6, then 2-4, and and now currently 0-3 in SEC play. And if Arkansas only wins one or two conference games this year, I think Sam Pittman has to get the door. And I know you may be like, man, it's just only one really bad season that he's had. But look at the trend. You go from three and seven to nine and four. Nine and four is your peak. And things are only going to get tougher for you. Regardless of how the new schedule is going to be rotated, you're always going to play a, a tough schedule. It doesn't matter if you don't have to play Alabama and Georgia every year. You may not have to play Alabama and Georgia every year, but you're at least going to have to play a Texas or Oklahoma every single year. You're at least going to have to play a couple of good schools. There's no getting around this. So either you find a way to upgrade a head coach and get a really big name head coach in there, or you just continue to get these Sam Pittman kind of coaches and you just continue to be a program that's going to flirt between being in the middle of the SEC conference or on the bottom. I get why Arkansas fans are frustrated with Sam Pittman because they were deceived. They truly were. Y'all thought that Sam Pittman was the guy. They gave this dude an extension and it looked like he was going to be the head coach of Arkansas football for life. It's crazy that we're really having this conversation about Sam Pittman being fired after the season they had in 2021. I still remember that season. I was talking about Arkansas nearly every single week. I was loving Arkansas. They were like my Cinderella team to root for that season, man. I came like a I became like a honorable Arkansas fan for that 2021 season cuz the Hurricanes were just so damn bad and they were just ripping the hard out of my body so much. I just got tired of. I just said, "F it, man." Like, I love my Canes, but I'm still going to root for Arkansas for the remainder of the season. Just cuz. And it's crazy. Sam Pittman, if Arkansas doesn't make it to a bowl game and you know they finish conference play with a losing record, you definitely at least have to entertain firing Sam Pittman. Now, most likely, we know that Sam Pittman, regardless of how this season goes, he's most likely going to be back for 2024. All right. But 2024 is definitely going to be a make or break year. And he definitely is going to have one of the hottest seats in the country. And it's going to be hard for him to be able to overcome that, being able to get out of the hot seat when the SEC is going to have two new members joining Texas and Oklahoma. And plus, you got to play a tough schedule. I would hate to be a head coach on the hot seat at a place like Arkansas, where you got great resources. The fans don't expect a lot from you, but you got a really difficult schedule. Like, it's really hard to win at Arkansas. We get that. But it doesn't matter. 
if you can't get the job done, somebody else, you got to get in there who can get it done. Okay? Like Auburn, they went from Brian Harson, and many people thought that they kind of went about that firing in the wrong way. But it looks like it's paying off for them because Hugh Freeze is getting the job done right now. I mean, Hugh Freeze, although Auburn wasn't able to beat Georgia, the fact that they were able to hang around with Georgia is a testament to how good of a coach that he is. Sam Pittman now is like with all of these new top-level head coaches coming in, I don't think he's going to be able to keep up. Look at all of the coaches that we have in the SEC right now. Brian Kelly, Lane Kiffin, Nick Saban, all right? I mean, these are three big-name head coaches. Then you're going to have Steve Sarkeesian coming in, Brent Venables coming in. It's just like, if you're Arkansas and you want to keep on being a middle-end program in this conference or potentially a bottom-dweller, keep on hiring these Sam Pittman and Chad Morris kind of coaches. If Arkansas wants to get back to the football program that they used to be, in the early 2010s when they were having 11 win seasons, 9 win seasons at minimum. They need to spend some big money on getting a big-time head coach in there. Hell, I don't even think that hiring Dan Mullen would be a bad replacement for Sam Pittman. But you just got to get some big-name coaches in there, man. You got to interview some big-name head coaching candidates. You can't keep experimenting with these head coaches who don't really have a proven track record of success. You just can't. So let me know how you guys feel about Arkansas and Sam Pittman right now. Do you guys think that Arkansas needs to go ahead and part ways with Sam Pittman? Or do you guys think that Sam Pittman needs one more year in Fayetteville? Let me know down in the comment section down below. I want to give you guys my week seven Heisman power rankings at number 10. I got Jahar Jordan. This fool was going crazy against Notre Dame last week. And even outside of that performance, if you look at how he's played for the entirety of this season up to this point, he's had nearly 100 yards in every single game but one. And he's averaging over seven yards per carry. Do you not know how impressive that is? The average seven yards per carry? That means that you're averaging 14 yards Every single two times you touch the football, every two touches that Jawar Jordan gets, he's turning it into first downs. This dude is literally a freight train. So I got him at number 10. He's probably the best running back in college football right now. Number nine, I got Shadur. I feel like the Shadur Sanders Heisman hype train has kind of lost a little bit of momentum. You know, when they started out 3-0, he was balling out. And then when they went on that losing streak to Oregon, USC, he didn't really have great statistical showings. Now, obviously, we know that it's not really all his fault because the offensive line didn't give him a chance against Oregon. And against USC, he had a pretty solid game. But compared to the other quarterbacks ahead of him, he hasn't really been able to keep the momentum that he had at the start of the season up to this point right now. Now, he did have a great showing in their win against Arizona State, but at this point, you know, everybody isn't really watching Colorado anymore. Now, there are still a good amount of eyes on Colorado, but I don't think there's enough games left on the schedule 
Forster, well, I'll take that back. There still are a couple of games on the schedule for Shadur Sanders to end up putting himself back in primary position to win the Heisman Trophy this year. But with how bad that offensive line has been, I don't really know if he's going to be able to crack back into the top three like how I had him earlier this season. Number eight, I got Luther Burden, man. Luther Burden, to me, is the best wide receiver in college football. I'll take him over Marvin Harrison, which is insane. But, you know, Brett Coleman on Twitter, he was like, who the hell is this dude? And he doesn't really watch a lot of Missouri football like that. You can obviously tell because if you've been keeping up with Missouri, you would know that Luther Burden, it's not really no surprise that He's as good as what he's been this year. This dude was the number one receiver coming out of his recruiting class not too long ago. So it's not a matter of if. It was a matter of when Luther Burden was going to start looking like a superstar. This fool in his last three games has went for over 100 plus yards and 10 plus receptions. This is insane. Against LSU, he was literally at one point Missouri's offense against LSU. Their secondary with the multiple guys that they had starting back there at DB could not guard just one receiver. That's how explosive and dynamic Luther Burden is. So I got Luther Burden at number eight. I definitely think that he deserves to be on here. You got to remember that the Heisman Trophy, although it seems like it's a quarterback driven award, the Heisman Trophy, the definition of it is still the same. It's supposed to celebrate the most outstanding player in college football. Not the most outstanding quarterback in college football. The most outstanding player in college football. And I feel like not having Luther Burden on this ranking would be a disservice to what the Heisman Trophy is supposed to represent. The most valuable players in college football. You take Luther Burden off of Missouri, I don't think they're 5-1 and one at this point. Jordan Travis is at number seven. The Jordan Travis hype train is still rolling strong, but they haven't really had any big time wins of late outside of that win against Clemson. And even in that game, Jordan Travis, he played good, but I didn't really see a Heisman worthy performance out of him in that game because FSU for the first half of that game, their offense struggled. Now they did turn it on in the second half, but I just wasn't insanely blown away by Jordan Travis. He hasn't had any performance, anything like the week one performance that he had against LSU. Now, he still has a chance to improve and get higher on this list. But for right now, I got him at number seven. Dylan Gabriel, he's at number six. I didn't have him on this list previously. I do now due to the performance that he had against Texas. And I'm going to be honest, I didn't think that Oklahoma was going to be able to beat Texas. Now, I gave them a shot, but I wasn't really insanely confident that, you know, Oklahoma would be able to slow down Texas offense. But to their credit, they were able to do that and, and then some. I mean, that was one of the best performances that we've seen against that Texas offense all year. So you got to give a big round of applause to how... Brent Venables had that team ready to play and how Dylan Gabriel performed in that game. And Oklahoma fans prior to this season, they weren't really all that high on Dylan Gabriel, just based on the comments that I've read about Dylan Gabriel, because they got a really highly touted quarterback that they got from the previous year's recruiting cycle that a good amount of Sooner fans thought could have eventually took over at quarterback 
for Dylan Gabriel if he was inconsistent like how he was last season. But he's been consistently good this year, and he's a really good runner, which kind of has taken me by surprise. I didn't think he was athletic as what he's shown this year. I mean, he's made consistent routine good decisions with the football and anytime you need Oklahoma's offense to get a big drive to keep them in games he's been able to deliver I mean in that game against SMU it wasn't really a great performance all the way around offensively but Dylan Gabriel was the one consistent that OU had so Dylan Gabriel, I think he's quickly rising up these Heisman power rankings. I wouldn't be surprised if we end up seeing him in the top five next week. Now, at number five, I got Timothy Brock Bowers. This dude is the greatest tight end in college football history. Now, I don't know about all of the great tight ends that have played the game of college football. I'm only 21 years old, so I'm sorry. To all of you older age college football fans out there who are going to listen to this, I'm sorry if I don't know about all of the other great Titans that have come before Brock Bowers, but in my eyes, I think this fool is probably going to be the best Titan that we may ever see. I don't think we're ever going to see a Brock Bowers again at tight end. He's a tight end, but he's pretty much disguised as a wide receiver. This dude has fantastic route running. Not only is he great getting open, but he's fantastic after the catch. You would think that this dude is like a running back or receiver the way he's able to make things happen after the catch. And you don't really see a tight end in consideration to win the Heisman Trophy. But like I told you guys a couple of minutes ago, the Heisman Trophy is supposed to celebrate the most outstanding player in college football. And Brock Bowers, he's been the definition of outstanding this year. And he has gotten Georgia out of a couple of binds this year. I remember when they almost lost to Auburn. I ain't forget. I know you beat the dog shit out of Kentucky last week, but you almost lost to Auburn on the road. I ain't forget that. Brock Bowers saved you in the fourth quarter of that game. If it wasn't for Brock Bowers, I really wonder if Georgia would have walked out with that win the way that they did. Jaden Daniels comes in at number four. Jaden Daniels, I mean, this dude is him. With fractured ribs, he, or I don't think he had fractured ribs, but he had some kind of rib injury and their win against Missouri, and he played through it. Despite the fact that you obviously could tell that his ribs were injured and it was greatly affecting him, he stood in there. He was still running the football. He was still taking big hits. Jaden Daniels is one of the best quarterbacks in college football. All right. I love watching Jaden Daniels play. He's a really good runner. All right. I can't recall the last time I've seen a quarterback this good running the football since Lamar Jackson and Jalen Hurts. That's how good of a runner Jaden Daniels is. He's a really crafty runner. He just finds running lanes, and he's also really slippery. He's not a really big, imposing quarterback. He's not going to run you over. Hell, I don't even think he's all that big in size. The dude looks pretty scrawny when you watch him on TV, but he just finds ways just to get big plays on the ground, and he's also a really good passer as well, and he has been the heart and soul of this LSU team for the last two years. If it wasn't for Jaden Daniels, then LSU wouldn't have had the success that they've had so quickly with Brian Kelly arriving to Baton Rouge. Jaden Daniels, like, I think that he deserves way more credit than what people give him. Even though I do think that people hold him in pretty high regard, but 
I think it's kind of a little bit of a tie between him and Bo Nix. Now, Bo Nix, he's been balling, okay? We saw what Oregon did to the Colorado Buffaloes on national television. Bo Nix, it's just so crazy when you think of the story of Bo Nix, right? I remember when I first saw Bo Nix and their season opener against Oregon, which is so ironic, right? And they won that game because he threw like a last-minute late touchdown to who was it? Oh, I can't I can't remember the name of the receiver that he threw it to, but he threw a game-winning touchdown, his first ever start as a true freshman for Auburn. You know, his dad played at Auburn. He was kind of like a legacy recruit. And things never really worked out at Auburn. You know, and his final season at Auburn, I felt was pretty solid. And it just was a little bit saddening to see him have to transfer out because his dad played at Auburn. There were huge expectations put on the shoulders of Bo Nix, and he never was really able to put it together. Then he goes to Oregon, he reinvents himself, and he just looks like this new quarterback. I'm just happy to see Bo Nix having the success that he's having. And if he wins the Heisman Trophy, I think it's another testament to why the transfer portal it's such a great treasure to have in college football. I know us as fans at times, we can get a little bit upset and pissed off when we root for our favorite team and our favorite team has great talent entering the transfer portal rapidly. It just seems like anytime somebody has to fight for their starting job, they just hit the portal. Or anytime a player just has an ounce of adversity that they have to overcome, they say, F it, I'm hitting the transfer portal. But for guys like Bo Nix, where, you know, they put in the time, they put in the dedication, the hard work, the commitment, and it just didn't work out, it's great to see guys like him making it work out with their second opportunity. Same thing with Michael Penix. And it's crazy how we're going to see both Bo Nix and Michael Penix going head-to-head this weekend, this Saturday. Now, Michael Penix, some argue and say that he's the front runner in the Heisman Trophy race. I can't put him over Caleb Williams yet. All right, now, if he balls out against Bo Nix, I'll put him over Caleb Williams. Now, Bo Nix balls out against Michael Penix, I'll put him over Caleb Williams. Because up to this point, Caleb Williams and USC haven't really faced any elite-level competition. The best team that they've played up to this point at the time I'm making this has been Colorado. Now, they play Notre Dame this weekend. Now, we're going to see what Notre Dame is going to bring to the table in this game because Notre Dame, I think that that's kind of a really big game for them that they have coming up against Caleb Williams in USC because they got a really tough schedule, and they're in danger of having three losses, and three losses kind of would be a little bit of a letdown. Even though Notre Dame does have a pretty difficult schedule, they had a pretty good team coming into this year, and maybe they could be in danger of losing four or five games. So I want to see how Caleb Williams responds. But even then, I think that Michael Penix-Bo Nix matchup is going to be so huge that whoever has the better performance in that game, you got to put them at number one over Caleb Williams. It's just such a big game of magnitude. And you look at Michael Penix, at Indiana, you talk about Bo Nick's story at Indiana, bro. I don't think he ever finished a season. The only good season that Michael Penix had at Indiana was that 2022 year, that COVID year when everything was just weird as hell. And you knew it was a weird year because Indiana was actually good. 
Indiana is one of the worst teams in all of college football right now. So the fact that Michael Penix can go from arguably one of the worst programs in Power 5 to Washington to go to a premier Heisman contender is another great story. And I'm rooting for either Bo Nix or Michael Penix to win the Heisman Trophy this year to keep it a being with you. Like, these stories are just so incredible. But these are my Week 7 Heisman Trophy power rankings. Let me know your thoughts on this down in the comment section down below. Who's too high? Who's too low? Who got left off this list that should be included on this list? This is it for this episode of the JT Sports Podcast. I appreciate everybody for tuning in. If you haven't already, leave a like, subscribe to the channel. We go live Monday through Thursday, 9 p.m. Eastern time or after Monday Night Football. Go ahead, check out the JT Sports Podcast if you enjoyed tonight's episode. We're available on Apple, Spotify, and Google, Amazon, wherever you get your podcast from. The JT Sports Podcast is available. One more time, if you enjoyed tonight's episode and you want to support the podcast, give us a five-star if you're on Apple and Spotify. All you got to do is type in the JT Sports Podcast on whichever podcasting service that you use and it will pop up. Or... You can go down to the description down below. There will be the links to Apple and Spotify versions of the podcast. I appreciate everybody for tuning in. Shout out to my guy Shadow Band holding down the mod, holding down the chat. Shout out to my guy Royal Jones. I'm glad to see you doing great and spinning facts, bro. I appreciate that you joined me tonight, Royal Jones. Shout out to my guy Rock Solid TVD could have been on the list. Joe B, great show, fam. I appreciate everybody for tuning in, and I'm looking forward to seeing you guys tomorrow on tomorrow's episode of JT Sports Live.